0: Good morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father, we come to you this morning with great gratitude that your word is true. And Father, that your principles are eternal. Simply stated in Jesus' name, amen. So, we can all ascertain, right? We can all kind of open our eyes if you belong to Jesus, and we can kind of see that we are either in or we are approaching very rapidly the days of Noah, right? So for for lack of a better way of trying, you know, to save time for we, so we can get to the message and what we're going to talk about today, you know, God put Noah on an ark and closed the door and destroyed the earth, right? So what I want you to think about for a moment— is when we allow ourselves okay trying to get these words right we sometimes forget that we are already on the ark you understand what i'm saying we we who are in christ are already on the ark Okay, And what we do because of how we look at the world. The Bible says that man was doing continuously what was evil. Meaning he was living out his own imaginations. He was living out his own desires. Now we get caught up in that sometimes too. But I think what the problem is, is that we forget who we belong to. And that what we do is we start focusing on what those people outside the boat are doing. And it discourages us. And so we think we're supposed to go isolate ourselves away from it and not be a part of it. Now, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus prayed for you when he was praying for his disciples. And he said, Lord, I pray that you keep them from the evil. That's what he said. Now, he didn't just stop right there. He went on and he said, when I pray that you keep them from the evil, he said, I'm also sending them back out into the world to do my will. So... First things first, hello, my name is Frankie, okay, and I am a recovering cynic. Now, this is not a rhetorical question, so I expect that every single person in this congregation will raise their hand. How many of you have ever been a cynic? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that word means, Frankie. Frankie. But you raised your hand anyway, right? So let me tell you what a cynic is. So a cynic is that person that begins to look at what the world looks like, and they get beat down by it, and they start looking at it like it's hopeless, right? Like there's nothing we can do about it. It's just the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. And let me tell you what that does to you from, Hello, my name is Frankie. I'm a recovering cynic. Let me tell you what that does. That will cause you to have a cold and hardened heart. It will discourage you so severely that your heart will become like stone. And you will be bitter. And when you are bitter, you have lost the definition of hope. Now listen for a minute. I believe that everybody in here, the ones that belong to Jesus, okay, we have hope. And let me tell you what I think that is right now based on how discouraged. Because if you sit out here today and tell me you're not discouraged, then apparently I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit right. Because I believe that we've all been discouraged. Pretty recently, by the way everything looks, And I believe that we believe that Jesus is the hope in our mind, in our mind. But we don't always live like he's the hope inside of our heart. Now you let that sink in for a second. Because when we allow ourselves to pull on a worldview... Right. And we want to look at what the world looks like and we want to allow it to beat us down and we want to allow it to discourage us. And I, and we could spend all day talking about the days of Noah and discouragement and family life and bad marriages and children who disobey and all that kind of stuff. We could spend weeks talking about it. So when I say discouragement, I'm lumping up everything. I'm saying hopelessness. OK, that's what we're looking at. But do not forget that you are on that boat, on that ark, because you have hope in Christ. Your vision needs to be focused on the ones that are still outside of there, regardless of man's opinion, regardless of world opinion, regardless of anything else. Our hope has to be in Christ. Now. Having said that, I think that we can pull a lot from the days of Noah, right? But I also believe we can pull a lot from the days of Elijah. And I'm not talking about the song, you know, the old song from the 90s, the days of Elijah. I'm talking about this prophet who was stuck in the middle of the book of 1 Kings. Now again, for lack of time and where I want to go with the the message, I'm going to give you the quick synopsis. Right, A lot of people in here know who Elijah was. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't shut me out. Because I know a lot of you out there who know who he is, you're saying, Frankie, well, I'm not Elijah. I didn't call fire from heaven. I can't do the same things that Elijah did. So you kind of shut that off. Well, you're missing part of where I'm going to go with the message if you shut me out. So the other side of this is, is that if you turn to the book of James... James 5, chapter 17. You ain't got to go there right now because I'm going to say it for you. It's in the chapter where he's talking about the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then in the next statement it says, And James had the same nature that, I mean, excuse me, Elijah has the same nature that we do. Now I wonder what that means. I take it as saying the man prayed hard, but I also take it as saying Elijah wasn't exempt from the same things that we go through as believers. It's not about whether you're going to be discouraged. It's not about whether you're going to have difficulties. It's not about whether you're going to have trials. It's about which side are you going to be on? How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to deal with it in the worldly way? Are you going to let it destroy you internally, make you become bitter and angry, make you run off and go isolate yourself in fear? Because I can tell you, Elijah did it both ways. So when we look at 17, where Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah comes on the scene, Now, if you don't know anything about prophets, prophets in that time were, they had some social status, but they pretty much were the enemies of the kings that wanted to do evil things. They wanted to come after them. So, can you imagine if this prophet who comes in walks up to the king and says, Hey, there's not going to be any rain for three years, it's going to be a drought. That that king would want to go run after and kill that prophet. Because not only is it going to mess up the economy and the people's food line and everything else, it's just not something popular to say. Right? So what did God do? Here's the number one point I want you to take because we're making a pattern here of the things I want you to see where I want you to see the hope of how God still loves you, how God still has grace for your life and how God is merciful on you even in the midst of our suffering. That number one, when Elijah had to go to the king and tell him that, God was the one, okay? It says it in 17. You can look at it, read for yourself. It said God was the one that told Elijah to go run and hide not because we fear what the world is doing. God told him to go hide. He was preserving his life in the midst of the famine, and guess what he did? He sent him birds, and he fed him, and he did all this other stuff. So if you, if God tells you to go run and hide in the middle of whatever's happening in the days of Noah, be sure that you heard him clearly for a short period of time. Right? Not to withdraw yourself because the nature of your heart will reflect who told you what to do, right? It's what comes out of here. So then we go forward, right? So now the drought's about to, to come to an end and, you know, God's getting ready to bring rain again and... Elijah has to go face this wicked, evil king, Ahab. For those of you, the one who's married to Jezebel, everybody's heard of a Jezebel before. So, Elijah has to go face this wicked man. Can you imagine the fear that must have been inside of him? But guess what? The Bible doesn't reference that. It says he went right on to him that day and went and stood before the king and said, Hey, God's getting ready to bring rain on the land. And then he went out and he had a showdown. Yeah. So can you imagine? So think. So I want you to think big for a minute. And all this stuff didn't happen overnight. There's time frame between it. But I want you to think about this. Now, I'm building this up because I want you to see Elijah has seen all of these wonderful, magnanimous, huge, large things that God has done. He prayed for him not to bring rain. He, he's going to go through what we're talking about now. And then he falls into that trap. So what does Elijah do, right? Elijah says, we're going to summon all your false gods out here. Say we're going to put them on top of this mountain. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a contest to see which God is the real God. And they did that by pouring, you know, sacrificing animals and putting them on the altar of God, That Elijah putting them on the altar of God, soaking down the bull, wetting it all up, wetting the wood, and watching God call fire from heaven to consume this sacrifice that was sitting on top of this altar. Now, the Bible says that all of Israel was there. They had summoned the entire nation. Now, think about it for a minute. Imagine it was us. This this group of people in here today, right? And we were the ones sitting on top of that mountain watching what God did. And guess what the response was? The response in the Bible says that everybody bowed down and said, "Yes, that's the one true God." That's the one true God, but then when we go a little bit further, when we start going in through the Scripture, they somewhere they forgot. They took their eyes off of it and didn't kind of remember those things when they bowed down and saw this. I don't know. I don't know about you, but if I saw an animal get consumed by fire being called from heaven, I probably would still be on my face too. So the point being is you have to see that Elijah saw these great things that happened. And yet he was not exempt from the discouragement that man can put on you. Or if you allow it to do so. And the last thing before we go into the scripture we're going to go over is that God gave Elijah, he turned him into a supernatural track star. If you read that, it says he tucked his robe in and he outran Ahab's chariot. Now that time the chariots were the fast things. So not to mention, right there to the very end, God allowed Elijah to see his power at its mightiest. And then what happened? Well, we're on this series right now, right? Christ in the chaos. I can imagine that when all of Israel was on top of the mountain and God's calling fire from heaven and he's doing all these things, it was probably kind of chaotic. You know what our problem is? We see the chaos, but we forget the Christ in. We, we forget that Christ is in the front of the chaos so that for us it becomes this organized thing. And what you have to realize is that God's not always going to be in what we perceive to be chaos. You have to have your eyes focused in the place that it needs to be focused. So the title of the message is, Why Are You Here? Why are you here? You'll see why in a minute. Now, if this would have occurred, or if this, this first verse right here, I want you, I, just imagine this for a minute. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel all that who had done? Now, if that would have been replaced right there with, now Ahab told Jezebel all that the God of the Hebrews had done. Right? Think about it. That's how simple that first verse talks about. It's pointing to what man did. So Ahab goes home and says, hey, baby. Hey, honey. I saw Elijah call fire from heaven. I saw him slaughter 400 prophets of Baal on the top of the mountain. Your false gods. They slaughtered them all, killed them all. I saw him do it. Instead of, hey, baby, you know what that God of the Hebrews did? This is what our household's going to do from now on. We're going to follow God no matter how crazy it gets. you going to be okay with that, Jezebel? So from the very beginning, you can see how this is set up for Elijah to look at man's opinion. Or that man has decided to do something against him to cause him fear. He said, I killed and he killed all the prophets with the sword. Now it says, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, here's another problem. And I want you to see the flow of how God is with Elijah even in the middle of how all this happens. As much as he is with you in the middle of how everything happens for you during the same time. Chaotic world, right? That was a chaotic world then and Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Don't you believe that a Jezebel, if she sent a messenger to Elijah, she probably knew where Elijah was. So why didn't she just send out the whole army to go kill Elijah right then? I wonder why. Maybe because God had stirred her heart in a different direction and had still protected Elijah even before Elijah knew it. You follow what I'm saying? You may not see it, But if you're God's child, he's still protecting you. He's still watching over you. He's still doing it despite the fact. She could have sent the army and they could have killed Elijah, but she said, oh no, I'm going to give you a warning. So may the gods do to me and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. What did that do? That's like the mob putting a hit on somebody. They didn't just show up and do a drive-by. Right? That was like saying, I'm going to give you a warning. You go get your family and get out of town before this happens. It was like she was just trying to drive him away. Isn't that what your discouragement does sometimes? You just, your discouragement kind of drives you away because you start looking toward what man thinks he can do to you rather than what God can do to you? The Bible tells us not to fear man. It tells us to only fear the one that can take away your soul and your flesh. Don't, don't fear. It's not, And we do. It's a natural thing. We're not exempt from it. We're not to fear what man says. We're not to fear what man does. So what happens? The exact opposite of what he did in chapter 17. Chapter 17, he was listening to God. He was listening. God said, go hide, Elijah. And in this case, it said, and Elijah was afraid and arose and ran for his life. (laughs) Ran for his life because he was scared to death that that woman who could have brought the whole army to kill him gave him a whole day to pack his stuff up and run away. And now a side note on this is, is that I don't want you to think this is happening like one day to the next to the next to the next. I want you to think about how long Elijah probably was in this place. Because to go from Samaria up in this northwest corner of Israel where the Jezreel Valley was, to go down to Beersheba was a pretty pretty good little trek by foot. So we're talking about time for him to think about things. Time for him to have this thought of, man, I'm scared to death, what are they going to do to me? Because he, he ran under his own accord. He didn't listen to God. He wasn't being obedient at that moment about what God was telling him to do. He didn't sit and listen to it for a minute. But God was still protecting him. And it says, and belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But Elijah himself went a day's journey further. He said, into the wilderness. Now, what do we know about the wilderness? Everybody here knows about the wilderness, about the Israelites walking around the wilderness. The wilderness was that place of testing. That wilderness was that place of trial. So even if we turn, listen, even if we turn on our own in fear and we run and you belong to God, If you belong to Him, you are going to be in the wilderness where you are being tested and tried, but He is still loving you. He's still providing for you. He's still protecting you. It started from the beginning when I said you need to have hope. If we could turn our eyes and focus on the hope side of it and know that that's what our God does for us all the time, then we would look at it differently, it would be a different place. It would be a different... We would look at people differently. We would love them differently. But we look inward. And that's what Elijah was doing. He was looking inwardly at his own fear. He wasn't thinking about all those people that he was supposed to minister to back in Israel. He wasn't thinking about all the stuff he left behind. He wasn't thinking... He was thinking about his own life. And we thought that Elijah, now listen, uh, we can't say anything about Elijah because Elijah showed up on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, got to see him all lit up. Elijah's been mentioned multiple times in the Bible, so you can't say that he didn't love the Lord. But again, he was still not exempt from these feelings. And it says he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And in some versions it says that was a, it was a broom tree. So it was like Jonah when he was sitting under this shade tree and God calls the worm, come eat the tree up. It was just one little shade tree. Can you imagine Elijah's all curled up in his ball like a fetal position? And he's laying there like this and he's like, oh Lord, oh Lord, help me. Now, this is not a rhetorical question. And if you don't raise your hand, you're lying. How many of you have been in that position doing the same thing? He was scared. He was running. He was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he says, and he requested for himself that he might die. He's not the giver of life. God is. That's the problem with us today is that we remove ourselves when Jesus told us to go and go do it, and we remove ourselves and want to die. We're like, Lord, it got to be better if you just come and take me to heaven. Well, of course it's going to be better when we see Jesus. But that ain't what Jesus prayed. When it's time for you to go, he's going to come get you. But he didn't tell us to become so discouraged with the world that we're just waiting, roll over and die and wait for him to come back. He said, go do the work while you're here. He said, I'll come for you. That's that hope, right? That's that hope we're talking about. And Elijah said, but Lord, it's enough. He said, it's enough. He said, oh Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. No, he didn't. Now, listen. Listen. Not only was Elijah talking to God about himself. Come on, Lord, kill me. He started talking about his, his ancestors. He started putting, calling them bad like what they did wasn't good enough. Because he's like, I'm no, I'm no better than what they were. They tried to kill them too. He couldn't even focus on himself. He started putting it off on somebody else. Isn't that what bitterness does? Goodness. Isn't that what that discouraged place does to us? We look at ourselves and we don't like how ourselves look so much that we start blaming others for it. And then it starts tainting them too, causing problems for them. Sin doesn't run from you, it hurts others. So he lay down and he slept under that broom tree and behold, there was an angel touching him. Now in the first instance, listen, when when he was obedient, God sent ravens to feed him. Made him drink out of a brook during a famine and drought that eventually dried up. In this case, an angel came down, and the Bible says an angel of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. says an angel of the Lord came down and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Now, we just talked about Elijah being under this tree, all curled up in the fetal position, complaining about everything under the sun. And yet, God still loved him enough that he came down and touched him on his shoulder, woke him up from his slumber, and said, Now go and eat. And it said, and he looked up and he saw the jar, and he saw the bread cake of hot stones in the jar of water, which is the sign of God's sustenance and protection. So it says, Elijah ate and drank and laid down again. And then the angel came back. So all he did was he ate and drank and rolled back over to feel sorry for himself again. Right? So then the angel came and tapped him on the shoulder. And this time it's kind of, I look at the scripture and I go, um, he was being a little sarcastic this time. Because Elijah said, It's just too much, Lord. It's too much. And so, what does the angel say in response? He says, Come on and get up and eat again, because if you don't, this journey is going to be too much for you. Now, Elijah's still going in the wrong direction. He ain't going toward Israel, he's going away from Israel. But don't you think God knew that? Y'all believe that? God pretty much knows everything, right? So God knew Elijah was going the wrong way. Yet in the beginning, he protected him. And in the middle of his suffering, he still sustained him. And it was self-inflicted. He was being disobedient. He went and he ran. But God still loved him enough and knew that he was going to restore him. So he took care of him. He told him to rise and eat because this journey he was going to go on wasn't going to be... He had to have some sustenance to be able to finish the trial. That's like digging into your well when you've seen God call fire from heaven and burn up the altar in the middle of your discouragement rather than saying your discouragement is bigger than that altar. That... Think about it. Think about it. That should always be bigger than your discouragement. Oh, and how quick we forget. How quick we forget. So what did he do? He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights, which is another supernatural thing right there were only so many people in the bible that did this 40 day and 40 night thing this fast right and it said he went to Mount Horeb now Mount Horeb is believed to be Mount Sinai same mountain we all know what happened Mount Sinai right would have been the mountain of Moses when he went up and did all of his stuff with God so it says the mountain of God and where did Elijah go he went into a cave he didn't sleep out under the stars He said, he came there to a cave and went to sleep inside the cave. Well, I don't know about y'all, but anytime you ever looked at a cave, it's kind of dark, kind of damp, you know. But I also know in the Bible that it says a cave also stood for protection sometimes. David went and hid out in the cave when he was running from Saul. And God used that cave to be able to protect him. So not only was it Elijah's place of suffering, right? Self-imposed. It was also God's place of protection. Two different ways. Got to get your focus right about where you're looking. And it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, This this is the title of the message, and I want it to resonate. I hope the Holy Spirit makes you try to think all through that question. Why Are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? What do you think God wanted him to answer and say? Well, Lord, I got scared when Jezebel said she was going to kill me. And I decided to run. I didn't sit there and pray about it. And I didn't, I didn't, um, uh, I did, Lord, I, I don't, I can't make excuses. I don't know why, but I was scared. So I ran That's kind of what he was wanting him to say. Because you can't tell me when you're in that place that if you belong to him, that the Lord's not in you somewhere encouraging you, trying to stir your heart a little bit. But he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And how did Elijah answer? He stood up like a gorilla beating his chest full of pride not full of repentance not full of walking back towards the God who protected him the whole time he said I have been zealous for the Lord it says the God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I alone really he looks at God and said he was the only one that was left Pride blown up to shreds. Remember, I said this didn't happen overnight. This was days, maybe even weeks, months. And it says, and I am alone left, and they seek my life to take it away too. That's not, that's not what the Lord was wanting him to say in that moment. But that's what he said. Now, the crazy part is, if you go back and think about the ark I was talking about earlier, right? And you know... We talk about this, you know, he put Noah and everybody on the boat. Well, Noah and them represented the remnant. There is a remnant. That's us. Right? For those of us that belong to Christ, we are the remnant. We are the ones who are supposed to be the salt and the light. We are the ones who get discouraged, but we come out of it to show other people why that happened. That's what we are to do. We're not to answer in pride and go roll over and be full of this. Whatever this is, this rambling that he was doing, right? Then we go back and he says, So the Lord said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. Here's the chaos, right, that Elijah was used to seeing. And I think that's the trap we fall into at times. We're expecting that God will do something mighty. The problem is, is that inside of us, inside of us, we don't always recognize the little things as still being mighty. Because they still have the same outcome and effect. So if you look at what the Lord calls to happen, he said a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking it into pieces and rocks before the Lord. Now Elijah's standing out there because he told him to come out before him. And it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. Now, all these things that Elijah had done, wouldn't you expect that Elijah would be expecting that God would have been in that? Because he saw him call fire. He saw some drought. He saw rain come torrentially after he prayed for it. He saw all kinds of crazy things that God had done. He said, and after that wind was a big earthquake. So then he's standing up there shaking on the mountain. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. He was not in that chaos. And after the earthquake, a fire. He said, but the Lord was not in the fire. So he wasn't in that chaos. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. The gentle blowing referenced in the scripture is God's still small voice. Yeah, that one. That quiet one. That one that when we put ourselves in the place where Elijah was, and we say the things that he was saying, we don't hear it. We don't hear it. Doesn't change what God's doing in our life. Doesn't change how God is molding and shaping us in the middle of all of that, as you'll see. We have to listen. Quit watching for the earthquake. Quit watching for the mountain to fall down. Quit watching for the fire to blow out of heaven. When you're in the worst of worst places, listen. Because he loves you that much. He loved Elijah that much. He did it despite Elijah not listening to him. Man. What a great dad. And it said when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Isn't that interesting that after Elijah said, Lord, kill me, in the earthquake, in the fire, and in all of those big things God was doing through nature, that Elijah didn't even recognize it. But then he recognized his voice and he covered his face because he knew he couldn't come face God without dying to the thing that was in him if he didn't cover his face which is the same thing that we have to do when we come to him and we repent because it's his still small voice, it's his kindness that brings us back to that place. Oh, but wait a minute. He asked him again, he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, how do we suspect Elijah's going to answer this time? Not the way you think. He answered the exact same way that he answered a while ago. Even after he came out before the Lord and covered his face, he was still in his own pity. He was still in his own mess. And God did what? Here's the part, the hope, the beauty of it. Is the Lord said, okay, Elijah, you know, I'm just kind of summarizing here for a minute. He said, okay, Elijah, you you clearly are not hearing what I'm asking you. And you clearly don't understand the answer that I'm looking to get by me asking you the question, why are you here? So this is what you're going to do, Elijah. You're going to turn around. By way to the wilderness of Damascus, which was from where he was, was all the way on the other northern end of Israel. All the way to the top. Long way. I even tried to look at it on the map to figure out the mileage. But it says, And when you have arrived... You shall do this and this. So he started listing out the things he wanted him to do. Now Elijah still ain't come back to him and said why he was in the place that he was in. But he told him to turn around and go back from where he came. So what I want you to understand in this is is that you can run. You can be discouraged. God will love you. God will sustain you. God will hold you up. But you will not. Listen very carefully. You will not be able to push that thing under the rug and never address it. Because he said, Elijah, go back the way you came. So literally, if you think about that spiritually, because Elijah didn't understand, so he was saying, okay, Elijah, I restored you. Go back and do your ministry. Go back the way you came. Oh, yeah, and guess who's going to be there when you get there? Ahab and Jezebel. So you've got to go back and deal with, with that thing whatever it is because God wants us to give that to him he wants to restore us Elijah was bold Elijah was courageous Elijah wanted to serve the Lord zealously that's what he's saying I want to serve you Lord but he was also in despair he also had fear and I believe that pattern is what we go to when God restores us. Welcome to living in the flesh, but wanting the spirit to override it. If we just changed our focus, see Elijah did, it. he ran away. He ran away. He did it the wrong way, too, and this guy's calling fire from heaven. But God also gave him help when he sent him back and he restored his ministry. And what I see in that is that we are not meant to do this alone. We are not meant to carry our discouragements and our stuff alone. Now, at times, maybe so. I'm not going to say all the time. At times, God may allow us to go through, through some things... To, to have him work it out but we're supposed to be a team here nobody is exempt from having these things nobody is exempt from going through these the problem becomes when we become sick sheep is when we allow those things to fester and it makes us start going well the church really don't care about me they don't care about me They're just letting me wallow in my stuff. Then you start blaming others just like Elijah did. He starts putting it off on other people. And then he gets bitter at it and he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. He wants to roll over and die. Instead of us understanding that God put us together as one to help each other through these things. So he gave Elijah, Elisha. So he could strengthen his ministry. So he could have someone to share the load instead of thinking that he was the only one. And one of the last, coolest things, and here we are. It says, but he was saying this to Elijah now, right? Because Elijah told him he was the only one. It says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Two things, and we'll wrap this up, is that this is truly the remnant. God was looking at Elijah and said, You thought you were the only one? He said, I got lots of people who still haven't bowed their knee. I will always have lots of people that have never bowed their knee. So now for us who belong to him, right? I want you to think about that spiritually. When you are discouraged, when you are in a deep, dark place, when you are bitter, when all of those things in the world that can happen that pull you away from your focus on Christ... I want you to think about the 7,000 other things in your life. The 7,000 other things in your life that God has done that's not an idol. Don't focus on the idol. Focus on the things that have not bowed down to those idols. Do you understand? Because if you don't, if you do that and look at it that way, it doesn't mean that the fear goes poof. It doesn't mean that the discouragement goes poof. But it means that you will see it from a different side. That's what it means. God is here to protect us. God is here to sustain us. God is here to mold us and shape us. If he will do it to his own prophets, he most certainly is going to do it to you. Without question. Because the end goal is that you will look like his son, Jesus Christ. And in that, that is hope. Who in here doesn't want to look and act like Jesus? That's what we're supposed to do. That's what this life is about. It's about us walking through that to be more like Christ. The beauty in it is, is that God will restore you in it. He'll take you out of this place, the place Elijah was in when he was running in the wilderness. You might be there a little bit. I was there a long time. You know what sustained me in the middle of that? Is I still knew that I belonged to him. And I'm pretty sure that Elijah knew that he still belonged to him too. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your mighty hand upon our lives. Father, that despite us, despite us, Father, you still love us, you still protect us, you still guide us, you still strengthen us, no matter what happens to us in life. Father, open eyes and let us begin to focus on those things that you have done in our lives, Father. Not the things that we lose ourselves in. Help us to be gracious even in the discomfort. Knowing that you are turning that for our good. That you are molding us more into your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.